All right, hi everybody, it's Brian with Harvest Community Church or HarvestChurchEugene.com and I'm so glad that you are with us right here today. As we've worshipped today, it's been so good to connect our souls to what God would want to do, the hope God would want to give to our lives today. But as we continue to worship today, before we jump into the Word of God, there's just a couple of things I want to ask of you. As I always do, I want to remind you of our Bible reading bookmarks. We're in the middle of March here, and uh, we'd love if you would um, grab a bookmark and read along with us as we read through the Bible chronologically this year, a kind of an interesting way of understanding Scripture that I find truly, really helpful. So it's just a couple of things I want to ask you to do today. As we always do, I want to ask everybody to fill out a communication card. We ask everyone to fill one out every single Sunday, not for the sake of like registration or something, but more for the sake of, of knowing what's really going on in your life and in your soul. And so if there's something we can pray for you about, please let us know on that digital communication card. If we can help you in some way, if there's a spiritual next step we can walk with you through, we would want to do that. And so please, please, please let us know. Of course, we're worshiping these days in person um, uh, at 9 a.m., 1045 on Sundays, uh, 2700 Gillum Road, if you've just been with us online. And we're continuing to worship online on Sundays at 9 a.m. Of course, we'd love to have you be a part of either one um, as we continue to go through the pandemic. If today is your first time and, and maybe you've never filled out a digital communication card or you've been with us for a few weeks but you still haven't filled one out and you're ready to connect, please fill out one of those digital communication cards. When guests do that and we have friends who do that, uh, we consider it such a privilege. We promise we won't do anything with your information that would be you know, negative at all. We would love to send you something just to say hello and begin to get to know you a little bit. At the same time, we would love to honor the fact that you've done this. We would love to give $5 in your name, $5 in each of your family members' names, if you'll provide those to us, to our partners at Monroe Middle School. We do that on a regular basis because we think it's so important to support families right here in our neighborhood. They have a fund that supports families in crisis, and we give to that fund to honor you on a regular basis. I want to just mention one more thing. I want to say thank you to those of you who give and support Harvest financially. It's such an important thing to be a part of a church and to be able to know that uh, God is at work in providing, not only uh, for the church, but through the church. It's so important. And so we want to say thank you. Of course, if you're a guest, all we want to hear from you, um, all we really want from you is just to get to know you a little bit. But with that said... Um, if you've been around a long time and you consider Harvest your home, we would certainly challenge you to pray through how God would have you manage your finances, really His finances, and how in turn giving can become a blessing to your life and not only the church. When you give, you make such a world of difference, and we want to say thank you for those gifts. So will you pray with me, and then we're going to jump into our teaching today. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how good your word is. I thank you for the way your word moves in our hearts and speaks to our lives. And Jesus, I ask today that you would truly move inside of us. I ask that as we study your word, that you would give us the insight we need to truly understand what you would have us think and believe and do. And then along the way, Lord, as we um, explore all that your word says, Lord, I pray that you would just change us, that you would move us, that you would mold us to be more like Jesus. 
Please do all this in our lives, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. We've been in a series really since the beginning of the year talking about how to have stronger lives, how important it is to be stronger in this season. And of course, that strength does not come from ourselves. It comes from the Lord himself because the strength that we need is the strength the Lord has. And the battle we face is the Lord's battle And so the strength he wants to give is the Lord's strength. We've been in the book of Ephesians studying this through. Last week, we talked quite a bit about the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. And that was so much about what would hold our lives together. Today, I want to pivot a little bit. I want to come back to Ephesians 6, and I want to talk about what is called here the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. Can I read this to you? It's Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, be strong, or finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now we've taught through those in previous weeks. If you miss those messages, they're on YouTube, they're on our website. Feel free to go back and check all of that out. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So last week we looked at the sword of Spirit, the Word of God. We also looked at the belt of truth and how those are together, right? Because His Word is truth. Today, I want to look at the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And if you wonder if this is relative to your life, if it's relevant to your spiritual walk or to your practical everyday life, I'm just going to tell you, it absolutely is when you understand biblical concepts like faith, which is really just trust, and righteousness, which is really just rightness. Let me ask you this. You ever struggle with perfectionism? In your own head, in your own mind, that you wrestle with not being good enough? Or have you ever wrestled with someone who thinks they're perfect? Someone who is self-righteous? Again, that can be yourself. Have you ever played the comparison game where you say, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as, as those people. Man, do we have a problem like a problem with that in American life right now. Do you ever struggle with doubt or insecurity in your faith? Do you want to Be stronger in your walk with Jesus. Do you want to know where to turn when you've made a wrong decision or a poor decision? Do you ever struggle with knowing the right thing to do in any given set of circumstances? Or do you want to know how to please God or if your life pleases God? That's what we're going to talk about today. And these are all spiritual words, and righteousness and faith are important biblical words, but they're so, so relevant to our everyday living. I want you to notice that the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith both do something similar. They protect your vitals. Again, a breastplate with something worn right from here to the waist. 
It was, in their thought, something that was protecting the absolute vitals. Today, we would think of it as like a bulletproof vest protecting the vital organs. But for them, it was the breastplate that the Roman soldier would wear that would be so important. And Paul calls it a breastplate of righteousness. And then the shield of faith is a a large shield. I'll talk more about it in a second, but it's a large shield that, again, was a protective element. And so faith and righteousness are meant to protect your soul, to protect your life, to protect you and your salvation. Paul actually connects these two ideas for us back in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 Verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And what he's considering a loss are all his merits, all his good things, all his religious things that made him a good person. He says, I consider them all a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having, now listen to this phrase, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or comes from my ability to keep the law, but having a righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of, of faith. See how he links these two concepts together. And so we're linking them together today. The breastplate was a piece of armor made of metal plates or chains that covered the body from the neck to the waist, front and back. It was often something that, that a soldier had to have as a part of his critical armor in order to protect him. I want to talk about righteousness for just a second since we're talking about just the general aspect of this before we jump into the rest of the outline today. Righteousness is a word that's biblical and used a lot, but hard to understand at times if you're not living in the Scripture, if, 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 if the Scripture seems like it's something that's difficult for you to understand. So I want to try to make righteousness make sense today. Righteousness is largely about what is right. In fact, the, right, the word right is buried there, right in the word, right? The word right in righteousness. To go a little further, righteousness is about standards of acceptance. It's about what behavior is good enough. It's about when you're good enough or when someone is good enough for you. Righteousness is about how we become good enough for God. And if we're honest, we're just not. We're just not. More specifically, righteousness is going to become a discussion about how Christ is good enough for us, more than good enough. We have great debates these days in American life about righteousness. It just doesn't seem so obvious. We often debate what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. That's a debate about righteousness. And one of the biggest internal struggles that every one of us has is a struggle about righteousness. We just don't always know it. There's a struggle that goes on inside of us, a wrestling match in your head, in your heart, in your soul, about whether you are good enough in this world, whether you've achieved enough, whether you've made the right choices enough, whether you are good compared to other people. Notice the words good and right are a part of this. It's a struggle for standards and acceptability. 
You ever find that you didn't live up to your own standard, that you were disappointed in yourself? And so over time, you violated that standard enough that you decided the standard was too high and that you needed to lower the standards. That's a struggle that has to do with righteousness. When we begin to say to ourselves, well, those kinds of lies are okay, but those aren't. When we say, well, this level of greed is okay, or this level of drunkenness or gluttony is okay, or this, this sort of level of lust is okay in my life, that's a struggle about righteousness, about whether we measure up. I'll define it just a little further in a minute. But suffice it to say that you and I just do not measure up, that our standards of right and wrong are always changing, that we're often working to lower the standards, that in our minds we can become self-righteous where we think we are the standard, and all of those are problems. What we need is the righteousness of Christ. The shield of faith, just speaking about it generally, was not a small shield that the Roman soldier would carry. They really carried two two shields. They had a small one about the size of a frisbee that left the body exposed, but they could use in combat in one hand with a sword in the next. The shield spoken of here is a large shield, one about four feet or so by two feet or so. It was made of wood. It was covered with tough leather. And as the soldier had it or held it before him, when linked together with other soldiers, it would protect him from the spears and the arrows and the fiery arrows of those shooting at him. I think it's important to note that this covered the whole soldier so that the soldier was not exposed, that it was meant to link up with other soldiers to prevent a solid wall of defense and then it covered the entire person and linked together in a way that it would put out the fiery arrows being shot at it. That's powerful imagery for us as we think about our faith linking together with other believers. It's part of what reminds us that we need the church, that as difficult or, well, who hasn't been hurt by a church, right? That as painful as Church family life can sometimes be we still need each other, right? And so it is the shield of faith. And of course, our faith is in who? It's in Christ Jesus himself. And so I want to show you by looking at all of this that Jesus is my protection in this dangerous world. In fact, that's the one thing that this message is all about. Jesus is my protection in this dangerous world, in this world that attacks and assaults and bombards. When the enemy is attacking and assaulting and bombarding, it is Jesus who is my protection. It is his righteousness that protects me. It is my faith in him that protects me. And when the attacks come, not just from the enemy, but from others in my life, from other people around me in the world, when I am rejected by others and I feel the sting of their fiery arrows, it is good to know that Jesus is still my protection because while I might be rejected by other people, I am accepted by Jesus based on His standards. Not because I meet them, but because he gave his life for me so that I could have what he has, his righteousness. 
This is why we talk about the breastplate of righteousness being in place, that I need that righteousness of Christ in my life. And we talk about taking up the shield of faith, that it's a choice that I must choose. So as we work this through, I want to talk today, and the rest of our time, I want to get super practical, and I want to talk about how the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness truly protect my life. Let's just run it through. I've got, I don't know, five or six, five ways that the shield of faith and the breastplate of hey, wow, the breastplate of righteousness protect my life and yours. Number one, when I'm overwhelmed with sin, I need to trust. And I'm going to say that about all these things. When I go through something specific, I need to trust. Why? Because we're talking about the shield of faith. My trust is in Christ, of course. So when I'm overwhelmed with sin in my life, I need to trust in Christ's sacrifice. This is where we have to dig into that concept of standards and righteousness again. Think about how difficult it is in our lives to meet our own standards of perfection. If you've struggled with perfectionism in any way, where you just beat yourself up because you feel like, I'll just never be good enough. Or you look at other people as sort of standards of perfection in the sense of like popularity or in the sense of what it takes to measure up in this world. And you say, I'll never fit in because you know what? I'll never meet those standards. I just want you to see that that struggle on the inside of us is something we struggle to live up to. So what if the standard was not our standards the ones we compromise a lot. But what if the standard was perfection itself? What if the standard was Jesus himself? You know, if you go to Washington, D.C., there's a, there's a building, a government office that holds a, a sort of... A, official weights and standards office, if you will. If you want to know what a pound weighs like, this is where you go and where you find out. If you know what a, a foot is, this is where you go. You want to know what a meter is, this is where you're going to go. So if I told you that your life had to be perfect, that, that we were going to measure out, say, three feet. And so I wanted you on a piece of paper that was long or, or on, on a piece of wood or something like that. I wanted you to mark a precise sense of three feet with a pencil. So you're going to make a mark in one spot, and then I want you, without measuring tape, without standards, without any of that, I just want you to be able to go boom, boom, that's three feet, and just mark it. How close do you think you could get? Now, if you work with your hands a lot and you work with wood a lot, you're probably going to get a lot closer than I do. But if you asked 100 people to measure three feet, those marks would be all over the place, wouldn't they? And the reality is, when we brought this standard in and laid it out, that three-foot mark would be somewhere specific. And all of us would be <laughs> close, maybe, not close, maybe, but often somewhere else besides the standard itself. We would not be perfect, if you will. Compared to Jesus Christ, I fall short all of the time. And Jesus is the standard of perfection. And so righteousness is measured by his righteousness. So since we know we don't measure up, here's the wrong things we do. We say, well, you know what? I'm just going to lower the standards. 
I'm just going to bring the standards down to something I can live up to. Now, I want you to notice what I just did. I just brought the standards down to my level, to wherever my level is. And so this is the standard that I think I can live up to, not perfection and not Jesus' standard, but my own sense of goodness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower the standard down to me. And what I did here is I just made me the standard. That's dangerous. And it's dangerous for this reason. Because sometimes I'll live up to it, sometimes I won't. When I don't, I will feel very disappointed in myself. To the point that when I don't measure up, I'll set standards for myself. I won't feel very good about myself. Sometimes you and I, we beat ourselves up. We curse ourselves. We hate ourselves because of our own standards that we violate. Does this make sense? I hope it does. But making ourselves the standard has a danger to it. Because once we begin to think of ourselves as the standard, what we do is we begin to compare ourselves to others. Or more specifically, we compare other people to our standard that we set. And we begin to say, well, they measure up and they don't. He or she measures up, but he or she doesn't. Because it's my standard that really matters. And when we begin to play the comparison game... I just want you to see that we either set ourselves up in comparisons for guilt and shame because we don't measure up or for pride and self-righteousness because we're better than someone else. And so lowering the standards doesn't work, but making ourselves the standard and becoming self-righteous in our own standards, well, that doesn't work either. Try the self-righteous game with a bunch of your friends and see how long that lasts, how well that works out. It just doesn't. So what's the solution? Well, the solution biblically is to recognize what God recognizes, that our standard falls short that our ability to live up to the standard falls short. And the biblical word for that, the Bible's word for that, of course, is sin, that falling short. But God didn't leave us there. He sent Jesus. And Jesus came, and he lived, and he lived out that righteous, perfect life, the standard, the standard of love, the standard of grace, the standard of forgiveness. He lived out all of that. He died on the cross. He was buried, he rose again, and the Bible actually says that when he died on the cross, that my lack of standards and my not meeting the standards and my sin were placed on him, so that when I have him in my life, his standard of righteousness can be placed in me. And what happens is we form a trade or an exchange that the Bible teaches that Jesus became like me so that I could become like him. Not that I become God in the flesh, only he is that, but so that I could become righteous and have his righteousness in my life. And so the path to receiving Christ's righteousness is the path of faith, where we put faith in what Jesus has done for us on that cross. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, God made him, him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Isn't that beautiful? But it's also painful. Because if we listen to what it really says, it's saying that he took all the overwhelming consequences of my falling short. And I get all of the benefits and blessings of his measuring up. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That everything that was credited to me, my sin, my junk, my problems, my spiritual death, all of that he took on the cross. So that all of his life without sin and all of his life without spiritual death can all be given to me. Jesus took what I deserve and he gives me what he deserves. He literally trades places with me. That's powerful. I need to trust that Christ's righteousness is enough because mine never will be. And I need to give up trying to trust in my own perfection. Christ's righteousness is enough. Trust it. Number two, I'm going to pick up pace here just a little bit. When I'm wrestling with perfectionism, I need to trust in God's grace. So we just talked about perfectionism a little bit where we try to have us meet up to a certain standard and we try to have others meet up to our standards of perfection. And to be sure, if I feel the need to be perfect, then I'm expecting everyone else around me to be perfect as well. And the solution isn't to have no expectations and no standards, but the solution is grace. And some of us don't understand grace because we still feel the need to try to prove our perfection, our good enough on our own. And the reality is we can't. But that He is good enough on our behalf. And that that happens on the basis of grace. And so I need to learn to share that grace with myself. Not, not to excuse my sin. Because when I sin, I should repent and return to Christ, return to grace but to realize that I do fail the standard and that grace motivates me to get back up and keep going. And if it's my own perfectionism I'm wrestling with, then I need to learn to trust in God's grace because if, if all I can ever trust is my ability to be good enough, I'll fall short every time. If what I'm struggling with is the need for others around me in my life to be perfect, then I need to learn to share God's grace. Because this is largely about whether you're going to trust in yourself or you're going to trust in the grace that God offers. And if you're going to trust in the grace that God offers you, then you need to be willing to share that same grace with everyone around you in my life, in your life. Number three, when I am under attack, I need to trust in God's protection. Trust in God's protection when I'm under attack. It, this language here of of the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It gives a picture of a battle where the enemy is attacking. And I would remind you that the enemy is an accuser, a blamer. The enemy is someone who wants to constantly remind you of how much you have fallen short, not to drive you to Christ in conviction, but to drive you away from Christ in shame and guilt. And so when the fiery attacks of the evil one come, 
When I am under attack, I need to take up the shield of faith and I need to rely on Christ's righteousness to trust in God's protection. That Christ really is the protection in my life. But recognize that many times in this world, you will feel attacked and not know it is the enemy. You will feel attacked and it will feel like people are the enemy because sometimes it is people who are attacking. And when that happens, you need again to trust, not in your ability to overcome people. And we've talked about people are not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. But... With that said, when you feel the attack of criticism or you feel the attack of the enemy, you need to trust in God's protection. Take up the breastplate of righteousness, His righteousness. Take up the shield of faith, faith in Him. And when you attack yourself, the same thing needs to happen because I bet for every attack you're tuned into of the enemy, and we're often not tuned into those, And for every attack of other people who criticize us or come after us in some way, some form, some fashion, the person who attacks you the most, it's probably you. Because you know you fall short of the standard. And when you attack yourself, you need to trust not in your own ability to be right or righteous, not in your own ability to be good on your own, but trust in Christ's protections. Does this make sense? I hope it helps. Number four, when I'm facing a storm, I need to trust in God's power. That is to say, when the circumstances around me seem out of control and when everything going on seems so, so difficult... I need to trust in God's power because the storms of life will often loom large. And what we need is to trust not in our ability to get through the storm or our ability to be good enough to see ourselves through the storm, but to trust clearly that God's sustaining power to see us through the storm is enough. If you're listening to this today, and you're alive today, you have survived 100% of the storms you have gone through in your life. Because you're here and you're listening. Now that doesn't mean they weren't difficult, that doesn't mean they didn't affect you, and it certainly doesn't mean that they weren't hard. But I want you to look at your life, and if you're a person of faith, and I hope you are, I want you to look back at your story and look back at the storms of your life and I want you to see the grace of God that was sustaining you in His protection and in His power through all of those storms of life. And I want you to trust that He will keep doing the same in the future. I've got one more I want to share with you. How do the breastplate of righteousness, how do the shield of faith help me out? How do they protect my soul? How do they protect my life? Number five, when I'm feeling insecure in my faith, I want to trust in God's promises. I want to have faith in God's promises. When I'm feeling insecure in my faith, when I'm doubting, 
When I'm feeling like my faith isn't very good, I want to trust in God's promises because Scripture is filled over and over and over with the promises of God. It just is. And I want you to learn to trust that God will keep His promises. That rather than trusting in your faith, in other words, instead of having faith in faith, I want you to have faith in Christ. And I want you to realize that God is faithful to his promises that are in Christ, that Christ is faithful to his promises. Because we tend to think that there is like some kind of cosmic switch where where we go like this, where we go like, I have faith and God's going to keep his promises and I'm wobbling in my faith and we will wobble, maybe fall down, maybe don't, that I'm wobbling in my faith and so God's not going to keep his promises. And, and then I, I have a little faith so God's going to keep his promises and we think this switch works where God's faithfulness to his promises is based on how we flip the switch. That God is faithful when we are faithful, but what we're implying is that God is Faithful when we're faithful, but God is not faithful when we are faithless. The scripture is very clear that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. That His faithfulness does not base on the switch of our lives and whether we're being faithful in that moment or not, but that God's faith and God's faithfulness are based on Himself and God's ability to keep His promises or something I can bake on. And so I need to take up the breastplate of righteousness. And I need to take up the shield of faith. And you say, but I'm wrestling in my faith. I don't feel very strong in my faith. Just give God the 10% of faith that you have left. Because God will be faithful to his promises. Isn't that good news? And God will be faithful to his righteousness, to his standard that he has placed in your life. And the reality is the security of our faith, the security of our salvation is not in our ability to keep to it. But it's in the security of the grip of Christ's grace in my life. And that grip is secure. And so I want to learn to trust in God's protection in my life. Does this make sense? I always end our sermon with two prayers, and I want to pray both those prayers for us today. Prayer number one is a prayer of salvation. If you've never received that standard of righteousness in your life, if you've never given Jesus your sins and experienced that sense of trading places where you recognize that he died for you on the cross and you give him your sins and he gives you his righteousness, where, where you ask for forgiveness where you repent and turn to him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. If you've never done that, would you do it right here, right now? Don't wait. Pray with me just like this. Dear Jesus, wow. Thank you that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. And thank you that you are making this offer to me. So Jesus, I turn to you. I confess to you that I fall short. I admit that I sin. And I give it all to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, I know I don't deserve it. 
But I ask that you give me, as you have offered, everything that is right about you. Please, Lord. Please. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I ask you to take over my life, live in me, and be my God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer just now, man, that's exciting. And man, would I love to hear it from you. So if someone invited you to watch, would you let them know? Or maybe you just found us on your own, would you let me know? You can let me know on the digital communication card we mentioned earlier in the service. Or you can let me know by emailing me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. I'd love to talk with you anytime about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Talk about next steps. I'd love to do that. Reach out. I always end with two prayers. The first, we just prayed, prayer of salvation. Now I want to pray, number two, a prayer of application or a prayer of discipleship for those of us who are Christians and who have, have received Christ already, but we want to live out what this message has been about. We want to ask for and thank God that we have His protection. Would you pray with me? All of us. Jesus, thank You for dying for me. Thank you that you took all that was wrong about me and you took it on yourself on the cross. And thank you that you gave me all that is right about you. And so Jesus, help me to live out all of that rightness. But help me to do it in grace with grace. Jesus, protect me when I am under attack. Fill me with your promises when I am insecure in my faith. Strengthen me when I am facing a storm. Fill me with grace when I am struggling with, protect, with perfectionism. And help me to live in your grace Share your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I am so glad you're worshiping with us today. So glad you prayed that with me just now. Man, it's been good to study God's Word and to understand how strong Jesus is and how we can be stronger by living our lives in our walk with Him. And so that's my prayer for you, friends. You just keep walking with Jesus. And as you walk with Jesus, remember this. You're loved.